Hey folks and welcome to a Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... The Man Who Laughs, directed by Paul Lenny, The Rocky Horror Picture Show by Jim Sharman, Ringu, directed by Hideo Nakata, The Devil's Backbone by Guillermo del Toro, and finally newly released, Pray for the Devil, directed by Daniel Stamm. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, how's it going, Tom? Uh, it's going okay for me. Uh, we're wrapping up October here. In Happy this, Halloween! In this episode, we're yeah. Recording on Monday the thirty first <laughs> on the day. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it was a good week for you. Uh, did you enjoy your films? I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, almost across the board, a lot of variety uh, in these films. I would say maybe the disappointment was almost not a single one of these films. I could say, hey, uh, this was full on horror. All of them were like kind of just horror dressings or okay not maybe not even horror at all so uh <laughs> you know it it was it was a lot of variety though and uh i, I was excited to I, I always get excited when i'm able to watch films across the decade i mean we're starting in you know uh, 28 now 28 which this is definitely new record yeah yeah sure. new record yeah well, let's let's just go back let's just start it up right away yeah so yeah. this is the man who laughs this is 1928 uh, you definitely have to set this up for us a little bit. Sure, what sure. did we get? And again, why was this on your list? Mm-hmm. And uh, how was it? Yeah, so uh, we covered Vampire, folks. Uh, if, you, if you haven't listened to the episode, that was in 1932. And this being four years older, this is coming off significantly more dated. I mean, we're getting into you know, <laughs> film really solidifying as, as, as an art form uh, this early on. Uh, this landed on my list many years ago as the original creators of Batman, Bob Kane and Bill Finger, uh, drew inspiration for the Joker from this movie all the way back in oh. 1939, uh, and it's also kind That's of surreal awesome. to think you know Batman goes back that far. The conception of it, at yeah, least, yeah. yeah. So uh, having that as the inspiration, I mean, by no means is this a superhero film in any kind of way, but uh, having that as the inspiration for the Joker, that's what landed me, uh, landed this on my radar. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, <laughs> you don't really watch a 1928 film without going out of your way to watch it. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of stayed <laughs> on that list ve- forever. That is very true. <laughs> yeah. I think I think there's some that old that might be a little bit more worth watching or, yeah. or more recognizable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was not to me, but mm-hmm. I'm surprised to see that it's a hundred. It's an hour and fifty minutes, mm. which is quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's definitely, and that's what I mean. It, it's it's surprisingly more dated. It's also longer than Vampire. You know, what I mean, Vampire, I felt kind of hit a it's, nice sweet spot. That Vampire, I think, was an hour and fifteen. Yeah, this is an hour and fifty. Exactly, huge so. difference, and, and a big ask for a silent film as well. This is now full on. Okay, that's what so. immediately what I was going to ask you. Yeah. It's a silent film. 
Okay, so we're dealing with pure orchestra then? You can almost yeah. like hear him in the pit almost? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's not. Uh, I, I use the the you know kind of the ragtime piano analogies. It is. It is a a nice score. It is also exactly what you think out of an old silent film. Just very, I don't know, very theatrical, very dramatic. Okay, in its score. Is it foreboding at all? Since we're dealing with something. I think so. Ish. Yeah. Uh, this is a perfect example where uh, this, uh, you know, I was walking in thinking it was also, you know, marketed, if you will, or or, or, or kind of uh, written about as a horror. Not really a horror. It's just kind of a spooky romance, basically. Okay. Uh, and, and I'll get into some of the comparison game uh, because uh, definitely a film this old, I feel maybe you need a little bit of a touch point to see if you like this. Maybe you can, you know, this is evidence that you can dive into this. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Uh, the Man Who Lasts, like I said, a fully silent film, uh, ongoing music tr- uh, track to the background of it, uh, and title cards delivering a lot of, or rather, all of the script here. Uh, and like I said uh, with our vampire review, folks, uh, this may not be your bag. Uh, it's really not mine either. The podcast has given me an excuse to finally tackle silent films in my you know, film watching vocabulary even right <laughs> uh, and yeah i'm you know i'm i'm right there with you kind of figuring out if i really like these films or what they're worth in modern day i think this film does have a lot going for it though and it may not be that full-on horror uh, it kind of just has horror dressings to it but uh it is a, a creepy watch for the season like a spookiness kind yeah. of yeah not to keep on calling back to that vampire review, but in just the same way that like the old people mm-hmm. looking old and being born in the 1800s <laughs> yeah. was creepy enough. <laughs> kind of similar vibes here, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. The film, uh, I would say, is uh, again more romance than anything. We follow a boy in the se- in, is set in a 17th century England, disfigured to always be smiling. Uh, as a punishment from a cruel king. His name is Gwynplaine, and he grows up to be a traveling carny called the Laughing Man. If you're listening to this and you're kind of wondering, well, why would this disfigurement be even shown as horror? Look up a picture. I mean, it is a creepy, creepy sight. Uh, It is not just a, you know, a... A teeth put into this that he's always smiling. There's there's a lot done uh, in actually I'm totally blanking on the actor's name. Conrad Veit. Yeah, there we Veit. go. <laughs> Veit. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because one because I'm looking at it right now, yeah, yeah. and you could totally see where the Joker came from. Oh, for sure. But even what you said, that premise mm-hmm. of always smiling yep. and laughing as well. Yeah, I mean, yep. right there. Yeah. It really is. It's it hindsight's twenty twenty with this one. Kind of looking back with the Joker in mind, and cool. th- this this callback, the man who laughs, is used in in current comic books. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll kind of that's its own. You know, we'll and, do a Joker special and I the guess. post. Yeah, <laughs> and the poster for it. Now I don't know if it was the original poster, mm-hmm. but has his face greened oh really in green yeah oh wow you know if i was able to turn my screen around i would show you (laughs) (laughs) producers we need it we need need some swivels now (laughs) but yeah no it's all in green and and he's just smiling yeah and he with his eyebrows raised and he looks like the joker oh yeah yeah which is kind of awesome and and there's there's such a a grimness to it because it's 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 disturbing in the context that this was a punishment you know uh right uh, from from uh, I believe in this fiction, it's King James the Second, 
moment. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting that the film is more empathetic than anything. I'll, I'll kind of get into a little bit of what was driving this type of tone in 1928, as as surreal as that is to go back that far and kind of try to try to put the pieces together mm-hmm. of what could be a trend in film so early on in film. I would say right off the back, though, I think where you know you look at like we talked about with a lot of old films, the scores, mm-hmm. the actual reviews for these films are so you know through the roof uh, over the moon praise 100% across the board and i'm not trying to just destroy old films but no. i feel like that is is not going to guide any sort of watch list knowing that this is no. you know well was it the broad. classic effect of did you get the feeling that people were doing it because they felt like they had to? I think when they had to, I think it's definitely a combination of just old reviews and never oh, tested okay. again in, in modern day. Okay. And I, I feel the same as here. And I, I think what I have as an issue with this film is that we never really get to see the multiple acts that make The Laughing Man so famous. Gwynplaine is really rises to a stardom in the story. And we do see one act cut short within the film, but it does not at all match the huge fame uh, that he builds up out th- through the story. And, and especially with how much weight is put on visual storytelling in a silent film, no less. Yeah. But visual storytelling with the type of style of, um, and we'll, we'll get into this, uh, German expressionism that the director, Paul Lenny, is pulling from. You know, it really would have been great just as a fundamental enjoyment of the film to see why is he getting famous? Why are people so interested in The Laughing Man beyond, obviously, his looks or anything like that? I would have liked to see the performance in this, you know, pre-carny, you know, medieval world. And I guess where I'm coming from is just, again, this is a great, this is a solid movie. Mm -hmm. I just think it would reach the, the greatness if there was something electric about it. Yeah. If, you know, the film definitely proves that The Laughing Man is someone that is going to gain notoriety and fame. I just would have liked to see it in the visual language of the yeah, film. Yeah, I think that you know? I think that makes sense, yeah. It would be like if you would say in Oceans, in an Oceans movie, that someone is a master at pulling off a heist and we don't get to see the heist. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Absolutely, so, yeah. So there's just something fundamental, like show it, don't tell us. Yep, you know? yep. The, the the plot here resembles a lot of Hunchback of Notre Dame in a you know in a lot of ways primarily in the romance around Gwynplaine feeling he is unworthy of love because of his smile you know for that reason this film is very a traditional tragedy for that reason nearly every scene paints a very sympathetic light over this deformed smiling clown that is now just reaching fame because he's he's one of a kind basically mm-hmm. um, uh, this style of film belongs to the movement of German expressionism, and I'm not going to go in a deep dive in this, but the the dominant feature here of this movement in film and in art and and in many things, in writing as well, uh, is amplifying the emotional experience over realism. Director Paulini is a pivotal figure during this time and defining the style of what expressionism is for both German and American audiences. Um, I would say why this matters for my review here is, uh, you know, it pairs nicely with what the film is going after. The genre here is this mix of romance, tragedy, horror, 
And to put ourselves in a kind of an empathetic shoes of the melodrama of this disfigured man, it it, it pairs nicely. Yeah. You know, this this is the style is definitely driving what this what this film is a part of during the time it's coming out. But we can we can appreciate it for that reason as well. Going back to it because. We can say, oh, well, it doesn't really have a lot of realism to its, you know, 17th century English nobility. Or it doesn't have a lot of realism to how the carny life works or something like that. Right. But it's about the singular experience of the laughing man right. and, and what his, his tragic life means to an audience. And, that, and that's where German expressionism is coming in here. I, I would say, and, and for that reason, that, that pair, you know, it pairing nicely, it, it taking this melodrama and, and making a topic we can empathize with that is execution and that is why i think watching this in modern day is worth a watch uh i'm definitely coming out positive with this then if you enjoyed 2017 shape of water this could be a good watch where it is this kind of grim creature uh, but a romance is bloomed around it that'd be an interesting double feature yeah yeah absolutely and, and certainly we were covering del toro this week but uh i have no doubt del toro being a fan of uh you know classic works that Maybe this was a slight inspiration yeah. to those things. Which is well. cool. Yeah. I, I'm still curious of just like, it just seems like, it sounds naturally kind of one note, mm-hmm. which is fine, for sure. especially how, for, how old it is. That's a lot of, one, not speech going on. Sure. A lot of a lot music of and reading. Yeah. yeah. So how does it, how does it pace? Uh, it, it It's a little slow. It does develop into a drama around the origin of uh, the nobility that scarred the laughing man, Gwynplaine, in okay. the first place. We actually have the, the introduction of a fellow court jester that kind of evolves into being a... A worm tongue type of character, a, a a manipulator in the political space. Okay, cool. From there, a, a plot develops. I, I mean, you know, it may not, it may sound silly to be concerned with spoilers of a nineteen twenty eight film, but <laughs> that's mainly where I'm leaning away from it. You know, uh, it does get into some spoilery area of how. Um, the origin of the Laughing Man ties in back into itself. Okay. It loops in back. Gotcha. Into okay. Itself, all right. Uh, back in the nobility, and uh, I would say, you know, like I noted already, if you're looking for maybe some some touch points of what type of story this feels like, A Hunchback of Notre Dame, I think it hits exactly on the same note that we have this empathetic romance. How yeah. could you not be drawn to that comparison? Yeah. Exactly. So. Credit to, you know, The Laughing Man for being a unique story. I don't think this was as unique as I thought it was going to be. And again, I was walking in with a totally different expectation. I thought this was, I I didn't know what it was going to be, but it certainly wasn't horror. And that was kind of my reason for watching it. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, you have this on at a Halloween party in the background. It's silent already. Good idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just the sheer sight. Of Gwynplaine is is in itself uh, why this is getting any kind of horror <laughs> yeah. uh, designation or genre to it. So, uh, with that said, we are going to go ahead and give the man who laughs a sixty-eight. Hey, sixty-eight, pretty good score. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good movie. Absolutely. Uh, just one other note that I guess we didn't really touch on was how was it cinematography, lighting, shadow work? How was all this? Uh, not the heights of Vampire, uh, mm-hmm. and I think. Again, like I, I noted in the very beginning, it's uh, it's only four years earlier, and it feels a lot more dated okay. to it. So I, I, you're I think, there for story, then you're not there for yes. you weren't getting sucked in by visuals. Exactly, yeah. you're there for the tragedy uh, and the sadness and the romance of it, which makes sense for an earlier film. I would say for me to comment 
a lot more. I think I just have to watch a lot more Silent mm-hmm. Film, honestly. So cool. Yeah, I love that you kind of been enjoying it though. You know, I have been, uh, and uh, you know, I, I always got special ideas kicking around my head. But uh, <laughs> sometimes it's just about giving something dice roll in the week. You yeah. Know? So. And so far, but they've been treating you pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to jump ahead. That was 1928, which is awesome. 68% for The Man Who Laughs. This is now 1975, which one of the most well-known titles oh, and yeah. often replayed and back in theaters yeah. or theaters, like, you know, theater show theaters. Right. <laughs> uh, this is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like I said, 1975. And uh, directed by Jim Sharman. Mm-hmm. So, Ben, how did, how did coming back? I'm sure you've seen it multiple times already. Mm-hmm. How was it coming back to it? How does it hold up sure. for this class? So, I actually had the delight of uh, not only revisiting this for the week, but uh, watching it in a roaring theater. And I, I, I don't give credit to a theater experience in the score of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, this is kind of an anomaly in the sense that the theater experience to Rocky Horror is its own, it's on its own planet, basically. Uh, right, it, yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, even if you watch, like, other cult classics in theaters and maybe you have, like, a kind of a drink-and-a-show type of environment, Rocky Horror is still its own thing. It, it really is one of the... Uh, the only ways to to watch this film, I'll, I'll get into a little bit of what I think uh, someone that hasn't seen this film at all should do with this movie. Okay, but uh, it really is something you got to do if you even remotely like the film is watch it live. <laughs> As many fans of the film will tell you, this is not a film you sit quietly and mind your manners to. It is a rowdy film, and the key to the experience is that. You're participating in the audience, and that's okay because it's it's you know the story is really a huge focus. The story is kind of nonsensical here, <laughs> and that's also the point of it. Rocky Horror honestly might be one of the first cult classics. This was born in New York screenings of the film. Audience participation was not only re- encouraged but required uh, back in the day, and. It includes everything from throwing rice when there is a marriage Mm. on scene, uh, throwing toilet paper rolls, wearing birthday hats, cursing at the screen. People dressing up is a big thing. I think this is a precursor to cosplay uh, Mm. as well Well, uh, coming to the screen. Again, we're going back to 78. I I don't know many examples that would be, you know. That, that would that would have that. And, and I would say overall, this kind of being born in a village, New York, very cool type of setting in 75, uh, you know, it conjures also a, a, an old love of mischief night and, and there being something kind of, uh, you know, rambunctious to Halloween as well. So that's where I, I, I do recommend, you know, having some fun. If you do enjoy the film, you know, go ahead and, and, and watch it in the theater, you know, maybe once you watch it first time through <laughs> at home. So you, yeah. you get a little bit of it or you see if you like it. Yeah. But yeah, it is a pure rock and roll musical. It is excellent. Be warned, uh, this is 100% a musical, and if that's not your bag, once again, uh, that that's going to be kind of an indication to steer clear. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're not digging musicals, this is not going to be the one to sell you on it. Yeah. I'll point elsewhere for that. And I think why I say this even over other musicals, because the plot really doesn't make <laughs> 
a lot of sense, you know? It really uh, is about the show and the antics. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you will, almost porno-like. It's The story is there for structure, uh, not, uh, <laughs> you know, right. it's a framework, not substance to it, so... But, uh, you know, why I bring that up is I'm not really interested in doing a summary here. I think, if anything, if I tried to summarize this film, I think you'd say, <laughs> why is this even relatively <laughs> has a positive rating, you know? Right. So it's about the experience, and I'd like to focus on why this is worth your time. And, and it comes down to performance and performance alone. Let me tell you, Tim Curry, this is without a doubt his definitive role. This is number one. There's, what else would there's... you say? Clue? <laughs> Tim Curry's not known for a whole lot. It's true. He is in things. I mean, he's got a list, but... Uh, he's got like 200 plus credits. Like That many? Oh, yeah. He's a, he's oh, a working damn. actor. I didn't think it was that many. But, the, but you oh, know what I mean. I, I think, if anything, that, that shows that, you know, maybe quality isn't the best right. if you're taking that many <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's for the check. There is no doubt in my mind that, you know, this is his not only best acting, but best musical performance and he is downright electric on screen bringing you know just so much chaotic energy to the film I I think folks the reason why I give so much praise to this is that frankly speaking there are many good performances here Susan Sarandon great Mm -hmm. Uh, Meatloaf rest in peace great here but the muse, for, for a musical to work, let's kind of draw it back to uh, to a bird's eye. I think for a musical to work in general, you need a good lead, someone to actually sell the fantasy of why are these plot points being delivered through song yeah. versus anything else, yep. literally any other way besides song. It's so true. Like, yeah. why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why so often musicals are hard nose for people because that fantasy isn't being sold on why. It has to be through song. Yeah, uh-huh. as a person who doesn't really like musicals, I I, I wouldn't say quite that. Mm-hmm. I would say sometimes they're just uncomfortable. They're totally unrealistic. Mm. They're <laughs> uncomfortable. This is this is all this <laughs> film. This is, this is a hard nose for Tom. Tommy Two Shoes, no and, go. And you mix it with horror. Uh, yeah, it's just like a film gonna be worse for me. <laughs> but anyway, so this gets to the, the point, though. This tells you why. It exists. I think so, or at least is sold by by Curry's performance. You okay, know what I mean? Sure. And like I said, there are many good th- many good performances here, but I think Curry is the reason why the por- the performances are able to thrive behind him. It's not only the hook for us to get involved mm-hmm. in this. Uh, again, that that fantasy of of the musical being sold. He is. Without again, this is number one, folks. There's no doubt in my mind that this is the top. And and I think as an actor, whether you know you really know Tim Curry for anything, that that's something notable for recommendation. That I think this is the definitive work for him. Yeah, that would add something. Yeah, and he he's amazing in this. He's I would. So ne- good. I'll. I'll. Be, uh, yes, I would be there for a good performance. I wouldn't be there for Tim Curry's best performance. You know what okay, I mean? What's going to draw me to the film? <laughs> right. If this main guy is solid, <laughs> right, that's right. that's fun. Yeah. Tim Curry, yeah. You know. Yeah, because that's that's a good point because if you don't know Tim Curry, I mean, you're not seeking out Tim Curry or any sort of way. Like, yeah, well, yeah. Or just see him in Clue or, you know. I know him, I know him something... actually from an old video game series called Red Alert. Oh. <laughs> he plays like an evil Russian. And 
that makes sense. <laughs> I think that was my first interaction okay. with him. So. Anyway, so it, but yeah, over two hundred and forty credits to his name. So. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yikes. So to to I have a lot of confidence in calling this a, an amazing performance. Yeah. I have a lot of confidence yeah. in calling this the best performance of his work. I think that is again, uh, it, it's important, and it, and it boils down to I think a good musical relates to a good lead or a pair of leads, and and Curry definitely hits it. 100% okay. here. The film is extremely 70s in music, in being hypersexualized, and definitely in the mashup of sci-fi elements and horror elements. The film will reference pop culture not in like a modern fourth wall breaking way but in more of a stylistic way um think like andy warhol uh esque mm, okay. in it's in its kind of approach of using pop fiction uh mm-hmm. in its style I hate to always bring Deadpool up when we're talking about, you know, the meta stuff, but this is not like a modern way that pop culture would be used, that it's for a joke or something like that. It is the style see, itself, sure. and, and that's the, you know, the, the, the line in the sand there. I, I think I, I bring it up because, uh, you know, if anything, going back to our Man Who Fell From Earth review with, uh, with David Bowie, you know, this style, it, it's it both heavily dates the film but is also why it kind of carves its own spot for a recommendation okay because um, it's a time capsule exactly yeah and, and that's that's primarily leaning into just again heavy music driven mm-hmm. uh very hyper sexualized you know you you're watching these the, both of these movies you can put them almost side by side and say okay i mean this is wow this is 70s <laughs> out, out, out the wazoo but it, it's it's something there that i think it, it does create its own originality and maybe time capsule like you said I, I i i'm gonna i'm giving this a very good recommendation because i think this film cuts through a lot of the nonsense that the plot is about or the plot isn't about you know what i mean there's not a lot of substance here other than the music right but i think in performance and in concept and in style this has a place in modern day or it has a place in whenever you're watching i mean that's very cool because you know just by going off of that it's so easy it's like this it's almost like this film should suck yeah yeah it's just like it's got a story that doesn't really go anywhere it's just like kind of all over the place and it's it's music driven i mean which is really not up your alley at all yeah um, so cool that it hits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, like if I was to summarize it, mm-hmm. it would do it a terrible justice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's not the point, and also <laughs> it would make it sound like a crap movie, right. you know, absolute shit. So <laughs> this film is is more than just an elevator pitch. It is kind of an experience, and and whether this is watching at home alone or in the you know on the entirely opposite end of the spectrum of watching watching it in theater, yeah. you know, yelling at the screen, throwing... Being a part of it, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. having this this kind of audience participation. Interactive experience. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, both have equal equal places for why I'm recommending this film. Uh, and if anything, I would say my recommendation, folks, is if you like musicals and haven't seen this, uh, I would say seek out, you know, a screening, but maybe watch the film first, just so, one, you can appreciate it, two, see if you like it, if you want to spend money on, <laughs> you know, going to a theater and doing this. But if there's any ounce that you do like this, seek out that theater experience. And uh, there's plenty around Halloween you know, maybe maybe Halloween night. You know, as as a preference, seek it out in a way that um, you have people ecstatic to come to the th- uh, to the theater yeah. dressed up as these char- 
characters and and that really is in itself a time capsule to those showings in New York back in the mid 70s sure. yeah. where this got such a cult following you know uh, if you uh, kind of jump right into a showing of this, I would just say you may not be able to be appreciating the film itself because a lot of moments people are just talking over, <laughs> you know, the cursing at the film, you know, it's and that that's part of it. But you may not be able to just appreciate the film, you know, good or bad uh, with that. Uh, it just might be a little bit too much. But having this one-of-a-kind experience of kind of a rowdy theater uh, behind this film, uh, which you know, lands a, a very crazy movie uh, so high on the ratings. I think that's where it's at, uh, and I think it does stand on its own. We're going to go ahead and give Rocky Horror Picture Show a 71. Okay, 71, good score. Absolutely. It really is its own thing, Yeah, and uh, it's a portal to something funky and weird kind of. Absolutely, counterculture, mischief, you know. And if the performances are good, that's huge. Yeah. You know, and it's something Absolutely. unique. The performances are good. I mean, that's just awesome. That really was the challenge in in trying to review this because I have to now separate the many times I've seen this mm, in theaters yeah. and separate that to say, okay, what, what is the film? What is the you film? Know, you put this on, you know, you're by yourself. <laughs> are you really enjoying that much? And I, I think so. Uh, but I think it also has the unique opportunity to be elevated if you like it already. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. That it's, it's at a 71 as the film at its core. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. So we're going to jump ahead here to 1998. Uh, we talked about this pre- in previous weeks. This is Ringu. Came out in 1998. I'm a Assuming in Japan, this is what or, yes. or Korea. No, uh, Japan. no, no, Japan again. <laughs> yes, bad. Two weeks um, in a row. <laughs> so Ringu is what the original take on what we know as the Ring. The Ring. Yeah. I remember I was I, I had even asked what's the one to one comparison, and you mm. said you're kind of holding off because you were kind of excited to see it. Yeah. What did we get? This is 1998, so it's not like a super old film, uh, right? Compared right. to when the Ring came out, exactly. which is 2002. Yep. How is this? It's an hour and 36. It's, what it's, do we get? It is a one-to-one identical. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. Damn. Uh, so much so that I, I don't I don't take back anything that I said about The Ring 2004 uh, because, oh, wait, was it 2002? Uh, uh, Verbinski's Ring. Yeah, oh, two, oh, two. Yeah. Uh, I don't take anything uh, back because, I, frankly speaking, the it's all in the execution, and that's where I'm going to be coming at mm-hmm. with this film. And but, it's also when you just sit down with a film. Yeah. You know, there's no reason to knock the ring just because it is exactly like something else. It's, right, you know? right. Uh, classic cases, Departed versus Internal Affairs. Right, I mean? and a lot of people, especially in the States here, they're going to be watching The Ring. Yes. And and, and not to give away the goat, uh, I think uh, that is where I lean as well. Uh, a rare case where I think the American remake is actually better. Yeah. Uh, Refreshing, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, But uh, this is what started it all, folks. I mean, one of the quickest and most remade films of all time. This spawned eight Japanese sequels, American wow. and Korean remakes. So you're not entirely wrong about the, oh, good. <laughs> the okay. Korean side of that. Um, <laughs> manga, TV series. I mean, Ringu truly belongs among horror icons, hmm. both for its electric premise, but also uh, the tendency for horror icons to just be milked dry and put into the dirt. Uh, and, what did we uh, talk about the other week? Uh, Halloween. No. <laughs> I like the, the movie series Halloween. Oh, we talked about Halloween, but we yeah. talked about the one that we did. They redid it on Hulu um, with the oh, box. Uh, Hellraiser. Yeah, Hellraiser. Yes, you yes. said they did the nauseam as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I don't know what is the case with these horror films. You know what I mean? If anything... Well, you have one thing hit and they just, like you said, they just milk it. Yeah, yeah. But with the, going back to the original here, um, if everything is there... 
what's hitting, what's not hitting. Right, right. Uh, it, it is, it, it, and I mean this, like identical in plot. You know, I, I won't draw examples to, you know, how much that's the case as the film progresses, but a perfect example is that, you know, the <laughs> the, the opening sequence is identical mm. Uh, to the film, uh, and I seriously mean, you know, even even down to my critique of the ring with like some of that lopsided pacing with how the days progress, it has the same problem. <laughs> so, uh, it is it is one to one. So maybe you know that's a slight to Verbinski's ring. Maybe that's just you know the the premise was that electric. I think what this interpretation is missing is just all in execution. Summary wise, it's the same. Uh, we have a single mother. Investigative journalist. She's looking into a series of deaths around the videotape. This VHS supernatural curse gives the viewer seven days to live. You know, I mean, that really is the same one to one comparison. And I can safely say that the films are interchangeable if you're looking for that story. The flavor is very different and the execution is different, especially around horror. Like, actually, you know, just fundamentally. Right. Which one yeah. is scarier? Yeah. That leans towards the ring, Verbinski's ring. Okay. So you were um, impressed with how that was. How a- scary it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And then, and of course, uh, no joke, uh, you know, uh, nonetheless, uh, PG 13. Which is awesome. Exactly. This, we should know this does not have a U.S. rating. Uh, yes. Yes. I, I think it would be PG 13. Because once deal. again, you're dealing with water, not blood, not gore. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. I think that really is uh, such a key point to, uh, yeah. to how it's getting it, getting it under the rug, basically. A big piece I think that's missing is that fabulous Hans Zimmer score. Mm. That is a point in the favor of Verbinski's film. The soundtrack here isn't bad. If anything, one aspect that I loved was the kind of the gloomy audio cues that come when the day's passing. Um, it feels very spooky Japanese, and obviously it is spooky Japanese. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the core of it. More often, it sounds much cheaper and less effective in building some atmosphere. There's also some some cheap sound effects that come out of nowhere that will kind of make you laugh. Definitely film enthusiasts, they're going to say, oh, no, I recognize that one. Oh, okay, you know? yeah. And that can and that can detract from it. It's like open source stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And obviously back then, you know. You know, I, I think visually as well, the American remake is much scarier. Uh, I think where the rubber meets the road on this is that the the incorporation of that original VHS frames, you know, the actual, the frames of the VHS within the film and then the shots of the film are just pulled off so much better with a Hollywood budget behind it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I feel like they can also, I mean, I don't know too much about the production of Ringu, but uh, I feel like hindsight 2020, they can look back at this and they can say, oh, you know, during 2002 or 2001 when they're making this, and they can say, okay, this is these are the parts where we can kind of almost engineer and 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 reorganize our film to make sure that we hit these thematic thematic beats, or yeah, we have yeah. some frame from the VHS in the type of scenes that we're crafting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is, I think, very ba- you know, very basic. Little things to improve upon. Yes. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe it ties to budget. Maybe it ties to just, you know... We had to start somewhere. Yeah. Because yeah. you're only working from a novel here. Right. You right. know what I mean? So the fact this is the first time we see visually, it almost makes sense that the ring could be better because it knows what's work, what works and what doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's that's really where I come from in in recommending the, the American film more is that very simply... 
it is a more refined product. Yeah. Um, I think maybe a purist could look at the American remake and say, ah, it's a little bit more, you know, a little bit more gaudy, a little bit more, you know, just for the scares mm -hmm. of it, where Ringu maybe is a little bit more emotional, a little bit more spiritual okay. uh, as well. Uh, more Japanese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, when, when, it, when it comes to that, I, I think, again, if you're not sitting down and watching Ringu not for a horror film, Mm -hmm. uh, you're sitting down very specifically for horror, nothing else. And I think in that arms race, if you will, between the two films, the remake and the original uh, remake is going to edge it out as far as being scarier, just fundamentally scarier. Yeah, I, I would say the original has a lot, you know, a lot of little special elements to it. I would say a lot of shots are strikingly beautiful. I think the cinematography is a little bit more of a highlight, despite missing that incorporation of the VHS frames. You know, once again, I refer to those day progress shots. You know, each one is is wonderful and and progressing the desperation of our characters. You know, something about the framing of these is just perfection, and it's almost painting like in it. And 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 again, I think that you That's get cool. that when you're working with an original inspiration. You know, the yeah, original I, crack at the at the idea of it. The story here also is much more emphasized on the motherhood aspect. Uh, our main character, Rico, is driven much more by the fear that her child would get caught up in the curse of the tape. And I think it's sold a lot more because she's, I mean, uh, not that I'm, I, I, w I wasn't crazy about Naomi Watts's uh, performance in, mm -hmm. in The Ring, but as far as uh, Rico's here, uh, really uh, dri drives it home. Much more emphasis on, again, the, this, this motherhood aspect. And like I mentioned already, the tone is much more of a spiritual mystery than horror. The supernatural elements are presented to be more familiar with our characters. It's like... <laughs> I don't know. It's like they've they've come across a couple, you know, hauntings in the past. <laughs> you know, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, one of these, one of these. All right, let's get to work. Yeah, especially the uh, the ex husband character. Um, he has like a weird like premonition uh, thing that clearly Verbinski saw and like and said, okay, we got one of those. We got six cents. So we'll, we'll add it to the kit. <laughs> you know? so yeah, yeah. You can see, and it's it's fascinating because you can kind of see the rearranging pieces as well. But I think you know. Both films having the same conclusion, it's it's slightly better implemented in the original because of this more spiritualism aspect. I I can't really get into much more than that. Sure, but yeah, I, I think if folks at home you decide to watch both, uh, reflect on that note specifically because I think it is better suited for where you know both conclusions end up almost verbatim, you know, exactly mm -hmm. the same. And I think this spiritual element um, hits a little bit better in in Ringu. Uh, it is tough to say, but I think my preference is for the American remake. Uh, it just comes down to that fundamentals of being scarier in, in execution. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if this disappoints any purists out there, but that is my honest feelings on it. You know, I mean, I, I like siding with purists. I like siding with, you know, international, usually best or original. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ori yeah, best. yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I think you probably see that in a lot of the movies and a lot of series that we covered, that original is usually always the best. But if anything, I would argue for watching the order that I did. If, you know, you, you kind of get the best punch of the scariest elements of The Ring 2002 uh, and the, the amped-up horror of it, and then I would say return to the original to pick up the more emotional, spiritual beats of it yeah. and maybe also not lose some plot points among reading subtitles as well because I feel like that can maybe, you know, depending on a viewer... I like that. I definitely yeah. like that. Yeah, so I, I found myself actually appreciating 
watching it in the way that I did, where I think it would it would steal the the punch or it would steal the you know some of the the secret ingredient from the Ring 2002 if you saw this first, which. Obviously, they, again, they are they are one to one interchangeable. Uh, but with that said, we are going to go ahead and give Ringu nineteen ninety eight a sixty nine. Okay, so sixty nine, yeah, it's about five percent worse. Yeah, because you get Ring a seventy four, mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, fitting. I'm glad that sixty nine is a good sixty nine is a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it just goes to show how good that Ring the Ring two thousand two U.S. really was. Oh, and yeah. very cool. Absolutely. I mean, maybe you could see it was Worth, just like, well, you know, most of the homework was done for him. Most of the work was done for him. Sure. You know what I mean? But if it strikes, it strikes. Exactly. Yeah. You can, can definitely get into a, a game of saying, oh, well, it doesn't deserve the credit if it was done before. But again, I think in the execution specifically, if right. both films, I would say, are, you know, in high 60s because of the story, the execution of the scares in the ring uh, push it you know, into the 70s for me. Very cool. Okay, well, that's still a good movie, 69% for Ringu. Um, I love that we did that. love that we did it back-to-back. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. A good uh, way to cap off the, the month. Yeah, like definitely. Uh, now we're going to go to my probably my favorite director. Uh, we have <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. This is 2001. This is The Devil's Backbone, originally known as El Espinazo del Diablo. <laughs> He's got it. He's got it, folks. <laughs> This is a Korean film, right? <laughs> but no, what do we get? You, this was the third film by Del, uh, Del Toro? Oh, man. Uh, yes, uh, third uh, release. Okay. So what do we get with this? What drew you to this for this week specifically? Sure. And how was it? 2001 Del Toro. Yeah, so this is our second Del Toro film that we've covered on the podcast, the first being 2021's Nightmare Alley. Uh, and we'll be covering him soon again because he is uh, coming up with a Netflix release of a kind of a dark reimagining of Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, our our special effects guy Phil Tippett is uh, has a play in the production as well, so <laughs> uh, we'll see if uh, two Pinocchios in one year is really worth it. Yeah, <laughs> well, the first one was awesome, so it's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Always love doubling up on things. Yeah, I know. Why is it always two? Uh, we've in talked one about year? it before. It's crazy. It's, How actually, it's like, it's, it's more common than you think. I I know. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but once again, what what drew you to this? So this, yeah, this was sitting on a list for a while. Uh, this was sitting on a list for a little bit uh this film is uh, well first off the back uh fully spanish subtitles here um this okay. lands within his you did a lot of reading this week Vin. I, I did i did <laughs> so far all of the films you know i was telling you I was, having, I was telling you i was having a headache this week maybe it was just, <laughs> it was just straining my eyes reading a freaking novel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh this is even though just a year later he does blade 2 uh this is during the time that he's still just uh, del toro is just doing uh, doing his uh, his Spanish productions. Yeah, he's not in the states at this point. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I it was on my list because this is not only credited as his best horror, but also top three uh, of his best films. Uh, and I have not watched a you know every piece of uh, Guillermo del Toro's work. I, I would say this film is definitely up there for me because this was a great watch. Okay, uh, cool. I would very say very surprised, and you've seen a lot as well from him. It's true, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. True. I'm very uh, curious to see what his vibe is. Again, I know the Del Toro look. I yes. don't like the Del Toro look. Right, right. I don't like the way things are done, even with the music. Yep. I yep. mean everything about it. Yep. You know what are we getting with look and style here? This is early, so yeah. This is early. It's not. 
the, the emphasis is not so much on visual design. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is his hallmark uh, of visual, practical effects. There are some special effects. I, I would say the, the setting does have character. But I think you would really love this film, honestly, mainly because, once again, not really a horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it definitely is, uh, has horror dressings to it, but it, that's not the point. It's kind of a war drama, actually, uh, to this film. Okay. Um, uh, I, I would say my best pitch for this film is if you enjoy kind of stories about war but not being on the front lines those impacted by war mm-hmm. this is your type of watch and guess what it's it's kind of a, a halloweeny uh <laughs> it does have some horror elements okay. to it can you the, set this up a little bit for yeah, us? Right, right. <laughs> uh, the story focuses on a spanish orphanage uh for boys uh, we follow a young boy named carlos uh who is abandoned there and immediately is confronted with a supernatural presence uh called the one who sighs the orphanage is Filled to the brim with young boys uh, whose fathers have all died in war. This is set amongst the Spanish Civil War. The background conflict here creates a, a very interesting, grim atmosphere. And as I'm watching this film, I'm saying, okay, this is nice. You know, this is, this is, uh, well, I shouldn't say nice. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm intrigued by uh, how our characters are impacted by war. But as the film progresses and progresses, that really is the primary tone and uh, style to the plot. It is about this, the impacts of the Spanish Civil War, uh, and it just happens to have these horror dressings to it. Mm. So that's that's where I say once again, you know, almost every film this week, it's not horror first. That's exactly <laughs> what you were looking for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, maybe that's good. We've been hitting horror so hard. That it's true. Ma- you know, we had a pretty good last week. Mm-hmm. Well, except for Black Adam, but right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Did. Were you happy at the end of this? Oh, yeah, because okay. this was an excellent Well, like, yeah, you said it was probably, you would agree that maybe it might be one of his best. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was nice at least, a bummer that it wasn't straight horror or anything <laughs> right, like that, but right. quite a nice surprise at the end. Yeah, I was going in with the wrong expectations. How- and, and maybe also as well, the, the talk uh, amongst, amongst film enthusiasts, amongst online, is, is kind of a different direction. Oh, you know okay. I mean, how was Del Toro able to capture kind of that, like, what would it be in like late 30s, like yeah. early 40s? It's like 1925. Okay. Think, was so. he able to, you know, did it feel like it? You felt like you were back in time? Yeah, with, okay. Absolutely. And that, that's credit to the set itself. The The set of the orphanage is used extensively, but yeah, has a, has a very authentic look to cool. it. Cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, just from the the on the verge of poverty uh, that mm. is conjured from again this kind of wartime mentality uh, or this wartime you know stress uh, on these on these orphans, I would say you know the, the war aspect of it goes beyond the window dressing of the setting uh, and, and becomes an active theme to the story of how much the these 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 boys these children are just. You know, unfortunately, their innocence is just, their youth is destroyed. It is violated by war. Uh, they are shaped because of the war, mm. uh, and their development is shaped because of that. And that's really, that really is the point of, of the entire film of characters often talk in 
in ways that they feel that the war is endless uh, and that they've been born with it and that they can, they're only fascinated by it. Uh, in the courtyard of this orphanage, there is a dud bomb that just is sitting there. Mm. Uh, and it kind of has like a, you know, a forebodingness to it uh, for the entire run of the film. Uh, so when it comes to this being, wh why I'm going to be praising this film so much is because it's it's tied so tightly together about, you know, being a coming-of-age story, having this setting actually have an active role in the storytelling around the boys, mm -hmm. having an active role in how they see the horrors around them as the norm. Yeah, I, I, I was just, I, I thought it was an expertly crafted film. Uh, very, very tight wow. script for okay. how much it is all tied together uh, and how much uh, Del Toro is dialed into his own concept and his own writing here. So. Very cool. Yeah, and he is writing. He's writing with two other people as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, it seems like a nice package. If it's an hour and 46, mm -hmm. kind of seems like a big story, a heavy story. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like there wasn't a lot of fat to trim off Oh, of this. no. If anything, big praise here is that... Fill <laughs> <laughs> out the bingo sheets. It, there was no fat to trim. Cool. Uh, it was... Uh, you were smiling all the way through. Yeah, and, and, and right where I thought, oh, this is going to lag a little bit. We gotta, we're getting... We're, you know, the, there's a lot of... There's a lot done with, obviously, the side characters that run the orphanage. Sure, so, okay. So, you know, it's not all just the boys. Right when I thought it was going to drag, boom, it, it switched up the game. It was great. Cool, uh, okay. Really all right, okay. So, And probably most impressive here is that I did not hate the many child actors here. Uh, I would say the 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 child actors they they act like children. You know there is oh. a rambunctiousness to them. There is a a bullying aspect to it, and obviously they're being directed and yeah. and, and they have a script to fill. But it, it passed my if you will, my kind of like my bullshit check of are these kids acting like kids or are these kids trying to be mm -hmm. actors? Uh, how many times it's either when it's good, that means it's really good right. or it's absolute trash mm -hmm. when it comes to kid actors. Absolutely. I can't help but think that the language barrier is helping. Um, yes, I, I, I think, I think you hit the nail. Which on the is head fine. There. I yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, if it's working, it's working. It is. It is. But, but you know there is mean? a disassociation I have with that, you know, Right, exactly right. Um, yeah. All the nuances, all the little inflections or something like that yeah. that might be throwing it off. Then I would if they pick were up speaking normally. English. Right, exactly. Yeah. But so. awesome. That's great. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I can think... only assume it's just a large cast of kids. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're working with like 25 <laughs> plus orphans. Because Jesus. again, that plays in also into the theme of, you know, all their fathers have died in this civil war. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, the, this orphanage is, is at capacity. They're, they're, they're having milk and bread for every meal. Right. So. Yeah. I can't stress enough that the camaraderie among these these child actors it, it grows into something very special by the end. But right away there is no gut reaction to saying, "Oh boy, all right, they're, they're really filling the lines." Right. You can, you can yeah. feel the the acting coach just outside of the frame or something like <laughs> right. that. You know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like I said, horror-wise, this is where the film falls short, uh, surprisingly. I, I wouldn't really call it scary, uh, and that and that's part of where I want to kind of counter this being saying this is his best horror. I don't know if I would. It's it's a good movie. I don't. It's not. It's not that horror. It's not that scary. Yeah, it's not that scary. Okay. If anything, the horror is done to create a kind of a thematic turn of the knife. It is it is something to drive it up uh, a level uh, by the end. Okay. And a lot of consideration went into telling this meaningful story about war and childhood. 
I would say the scary elements are just kind of window dressings. Um, uh, this is tied to, you know, the one who sighs is, is, is a little boy uh, and a ghost. And I, the credit I would give to it is that it's incorporated almost like a paranormal activity that there's not a jump scare. There's almost not even a recognition that the ghost is on screen, but if you notice it as the, as the viewer in the distance, mm-hmm. it's it's for your appreciation. Okay, but it's again, like a little it's yeah. it's just more so almost like drama, history, maybe thriller or yeah, something like that, with yeah. little like a la carte yeah. horror, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Side order, of yeah, horror. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was good, but again, um, uh, both in my expectations of it, but also maybe to the film of how it's being marketed as a horror. Mm-hmm. I would say that, was and it the, is, yeah, the, yeah, that was the side of it, yeah. You know? But I'm glad uh, at the end of it, you weren't bummed about it. Like no, it sounds no. like it would almost make it worse mm. if he pushed horror more on it. Yes, and that's just me kind of listening to you. It's what uh, seems 100- like you 100 yeah. percent correct because really there was quite a meaningful story in the child performances mm-hmm. in this this setting that has a, a through line of its own a theming of its own and, and the setting of this orphanage uh, you know a lot is done with it so uh, I, I was uh, you know I was uh, very impressed uh, with where this film went uh, I would say this is right on the money for Del Toro's hallmark as far as being visual design and practical effects there is some great visual effects with some floating blood that holds up surprisingly well for a 2001 film, no less a foreign film from 2001. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would say, you know, it's it's it gets it gets some credit there because I thought it was going to be a failure <laughs> as far as that effects. Yeah. So uh, I'm happy to say this definitely does fit right in line with Del Toro's you know filmography, uh, unlike a you know a Jackson, which repeatedly d- disappointed me this month <laughs> one after another so <laughs> i thought this movie was excellent though uh you know the airtight script it has it leaves nothing without a purpose it leaves nothing without tie back you know everything was very satisfying uh with how it was tied back to and and even though it may not be the scariest it is without a doubt an excellent watch we're gonna go ahead and give the devil's backbone a 79 Ooh, seventy nine. That's great to see. Absolutely, I'm. I'm thinking I would. I would like this. I. I really do as well. Uh, yeah, I, th- I yeah. think this is uh, again. Well, maybe you know, the subtitles is. Uh, no, I'm good with. I'm always been yeah, good with subtitles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've been pretty good with that. But even just maybe for folks at home, that could. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know. But but honestly, it was. Uh, it's funny how used to subtitles you get. Oh yeah, yeah. Where it's just like oh, you're just watching the film now. And I think it does a lot for Spanish subtitles versus something like a Japanese, you know? Oh, yeah. It, it, I don't know. I, I feel, you know, you can pick it up maybe a tiny bit There's easier. little connections there. Yeah. But obviously that's, you know, depends on the viewer. Did you ever see Pan's Labyrinth? Yes, and probably was going to cover that in anticipation of the Pinocchio week, so. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's, Del Toro described this film as being the brother film and Pan's Labyrinth the sister film. Oh, Almost, they work together. Interesting. Uh, maybe in the sense that the themes of childhood, and this is being all boys. I mean, the orphanage doesn't have any anyone but boys in it. Right, so. right. I have no idea. I don't know. I never seen *Pan's Labyrinth*, <laughs> but I read it and it seemed like a cool fact. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely something that a director says about his own work. <laughs> Especially that, that no one else probably picked up. Yeah, exactly. Especially Del Toro of all yeah. people. No, I listen. I think you're. I think I need to watch more of him too. But no, I, I like your perspective on it. One because I, I like you giving opinions and hot takes. <laughs> Especially knowing nothing. I don't know very much about Del Toro. That's what I really like. Yeah, exactly. It all started when it I is saw. Truly a hot take. First Del Toro film I think I saw was Hellboy Two in theaters. <laughs> Never watched the first one, but I was like, it seems cool, and I watched it. I was upset with it as a kid. I was like, this movie sucks. I and then ever this since, cool. ever since, yeah, the feud. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's a it's a it's a good perspective because guess what? Uh, not everyone is going to like his hyper stylized or his you know magical realism, and we're talking about Pan's Labyrinth, his right. fantasies. You know, and it seems it. like we're getting something completely different with this film. Yeah, th- if anything, this was more realism than anything, and you know, again, the horror. That's what I want. That's yeah. what I, I would love that. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Okay, Vin. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into our donation segment here. We want to thank our producer, and we have a recurring producer today. Oh, this is uh, Matt D coming back. Matt D. So Matt D kind of wrote in, and we were talking a lot about so bad it's good and everything oh, like right, that. Of course, and, yeah, excellent. No. Um, so he wrote in again. Uh, let's start with it. He wrote two notes again, five dollars a piece. Okay. That's that's his that's his hallmark. <laughs> it is it is his thing. Uh, so let's read what Matt said here. He said, "Following my last note around some sort of SBIG rating, so bad it's good. I love the idea of a badge slash tag in lieu of the rating." Mm. Uh, he says, "I acknowledge the enjoyment factor, but am compelled to point out its subje- subjectivity of it all." Mm, true. I think there's an opportunity to expand on the badge idea. Maybe a target market slash intended audience mm. slash bullseye badge for movies that were trying to accomplish something other than being technically good or were made for people who don't watch movies like Vin does. Sure, sure. Um, take kids' movies. Vin had mentioned being less critical of those for that reason. Jump scare horror. Like something like, I hate these, but if you're looking for a thrill, that deserves some sort of acknowledgement. Mm, Action, mm. adventure, summer blockbuster, like The Expendables. While technically a bad movie, actually did exactly what it set out to do and hit the mark with its intended audience. Mm. Um, Etc. Movies can be movies can get multiple badges. Sharknado, Sharknado, maybe for So Bad It's Good and a, <laughs> and a Bullseye, since it tried to be bad. Oh, yeah, very true. We could have a reverse bullseye for movies that tried to be something and just completely whiffed. Maybe like The Happening? Uh, we could have badges for in-universe movies that are integral to the universe versus movies that could be skipped without losing oh. context or enjoyment. And on and on and on. Listen, I, I like that uh, the latter of that, uh, especially when it comes to um, uh, what I always comment on, which is what is re- the required homework? What is the summer reading for mm-hmm. all these, you know, all these superhero films? So, uh, I think maybe a lot of badges. Maybe we get kind of lost in the sauce a little bit. You know, I mean, I do like the simplicity of, of sticking to the score, but, uh, you know, I don't know. What are your thoughts here? Tom? So, yeah, I have three main points to sure. make about this. So, Matt, we appreciate you still engaging with us and everything like that oh, about absolutely. this. I would say, I would start out with, I want to go back to the top of your note, Matt, where you said, I acknowledge the enjoyment factor, um, but I'm compelled to point out its subjectivity. Mm. You know, we are, a, it's a movie, it's a, it's a movie review, Vince sure. a Critic, you know, mm-hmm. if any, if, it, it's nothing but subjective. Yeah, yeah. And if there's any movie reviewer or critic out there saying that they are objective, they are lying through their teeth <laughs> because we're naturally dealing with opinions. This is all subjective. Mm-hmm. So in that, I kind of like all the like all the badge ideas or mm-hmm. all the badges ideas because it's trying to make it what is naturally subjective into as objective as possible. Yes, yes. So I like that. Mm-hmm. 
but then I take issue. But then I take issue. Like the second thing would be is at the end. Then when you say and on and on, mm. and it does, it goes on and on and on. The question yeah. is, where do we stop? Yes. And how do we stop? Yep. If now we're doing multiple badges for a film, mm-hmm. and technically we could have at least a badge for every single film. Sure. The, my problem there is it's rendering the podcast useless mm, mm. because in all of this let's take something with the in-universe movies mm-hmm. i you know naturally we never talk about what should go in your reviews right, right. you know what i mean you, yeah, na- yeah, you I, naturally have your notes this is how you want to talk about it yep. and i feel like we cover so many of these sure you know what i mean and so i think you know we pair this so much the website and the podcast together mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. if we have all these badges it's rendering the podcast useless one mm-hmm. And two, I think it can get confusing with a lot of badges. Sure, sure. You know, there's going to have to be a lot of hover over and then get a whole paragraph <laughs> to explain what the badges are. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a lot to hang on to for a simple site. Yeah. Especially when we went to site to be quick. When so many move, I feel, okay, we have 850 films. Mm-hmm. I feel like the vast majority of them, you can see the film, see the rating, and be like, oh, okay, I get that. Sure. Even if you disagree or not, you get it. Mm-hmm. Now, some of this stuff with the room and expendables like we were talking about, that's where you might want a little context. And, you know, the badges, that's when it's like, hey, you know, for those 50 films out of the 850 mm-hmm. or something like that, or mm-hmm. there's 20 or 30 of them, listen to the podcast. Yeah. I think all the badges, the problem is there. It can go on and on and on. Yeah. I'd, I'd like the idea of it, of trying to make it objective as possible for anybody mm-hmm. coming to the podcast or coming to the website. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's too much. Yeah. I, think it, I think it's too much. And I, I will note some stuff where it's like, um, you had mentioned like kids' movies. Vin has mentioned uh, being less critical of those for that reason. I think on the podcast you're less critical. I don't think mm. you bump scores up. No, the fact, you know what I mean. Not grading on a curve or anything. like right, that. Right, there's no bell curve. Yeah, and yeah. we never do a bell curve. So yeah. I think that. And to your point, where like this multiple stuff where it could be so bad it's good and a bullseye since it tried to be bad, something like Sharknado. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's almost like <laughs> someone asks you, hey. I don't want to watch Sharknado. <laughs> yeah, right. I really don't. <laughs> Whether it be Sharknado or the or, Ma- or the Meg, which you did watch. The Meg, yeah, or Birdemic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. And just think about, so Shark, someone comes up to you and says, oh, what'd you think of Sharknado? And yeah. it's just like, oh, I didn't, I didn't like it. It was a bad film. Yeah. If the idea is just like, oh, no, no, but it was supposed to be bad. Mm. Well, does that matter? Sure. You know, again, because what was the experience? The point is, is how was the film? Yeah. And there's, and- I think there's films that are supposed to be bad that actually yeah. can be quite good. You know what I mean? And that's where I think we're, I think, Matt, it seems like you're bringing in a lot of the, I think you're bringing in a lot of the functionality of a film. Mm-hmm. So like, just because Expendables was supposed to be something and it mm-hmm. was that thing, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make it good. It functioned as the film was supposed to be, but... That doesn't mean you can go and recommend it to somebody. Sure, sure. Sharknado was absolutely absolutely supposed to be absurd and ridiculous and a bad film. You're right. Are you supposed to, you know, how what what is our job here? And we say kind of that our job is is it worth a watch or not? Yeah, is it worth your time? So, functionality film is important as we were saying the other week, mm-hmm. but at the same point, we don't care if it was supposed to be this or that. At <laughs> the end of the day, that's what I like so What's much the end about result? Right. That's what I like so much about a John Wick. Yeah. Where now that we now that we know what it is cuz yeah. it's made, we yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah. But to take the premise of it is just like okay, guy who was assassin Russian dudes kill the dog, and we'll nickname him the Boogeyman or Papa Ega, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll yeah. have neon highlighted subtitles. Yep. It sounds ridiculous. Exactly. But it pulls off something incredibly great. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I think there's there's a push and pull there where I don't necessarily agree with all the points that you hit mm-hmm. with the badges and everything like that, but at the same time, I like the idea of trying to bring it to as objective as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was so early on, we, you know, Tom and I spoke about uh, the cross-pollination. If someone just sees the score... 
outraged or not or agrees with it, oh, guess what? The, the podcast right. is there to I would, supplement. I would say confused. Sure, sure. Confused. How yep. does the room get a 23? Yep, yep. And Expendables get whatever got 17 or, exactly. or 21 or something like that. So, you know, in, in the grand goal to put audio to all previous reviews and any any film that I watch, you know, that that's where the, the audio is there to, uh, to provide context, to see where I'm coming from with it, and then to maybe create notes like, yeah. this is required watching for Marvel. I, this is so bad it's good. I, I don't mind. I still almost like a badge for so bad it's good. Yeah, I think that would because be the it's, one. It's such because... <laughs> a common thing for people. It's such a common yeah. thing of just like, no, no, it's bad, but, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And honestly, I, get, I know that Sharknado, like, people think that that holds almost like top rank or top three so bad it's good but oh, I, really? I don't necessarily agree with that like the room is so <laughs> so bad it's good <laughs> like, and that was actually trying to be good which is funny yeah, like, tommy yeah. was upset how people felt oh for it. sure but I, I think that's kind of where i land on that's kind of where i land on it yeah i'm definitely in agreement with it uh, i i think again more than my, my gut reaction to it i think too many stickers we get kind of lost in the it's concept too much of and where do we stop and that's yeah. so much extra work for us yeah. as well <laughs> and then explaining the stickers yeah, like, you know yeah. what i mean but in the in the you know perpetual running of the podcast until i <laughs> my eyes burn <laughs> out of my skull <laughs> because of watching all these movies i i think uh we, we can go in in plenty of directions and, and certainly appreciate the the patronage as well matt d yeah know? big time I mean, uh, oh five bucks each again this week so yeah, exactly. I don't know if I said that. Uh, was, was there well, a second note? Yeah, yeah, there, okay. yeah. We'll get to it here. So he goes. I just wanted to clarify that I purposely split my donation the other week to indicate <laughs> two so separate again. thoughts. I think you offended him before. <laughs> Because you said he might have mixed it up. Uh, so he did it on purpose. He goes, uh, this one is just a bit of a note, maybe a correction. Uh, we're talking about the room. Um, I often mentioned how low uh, budget or how low the budget was for this. Mm. I wanted to point out that it cost Tommy $6 million of his own money to make. Ooh, that budget is in line with movies like Grandma's Boy, 25th Hour, Donnie Darko, Dallas Buyers Club, mm. Saul 2, wow. etc. No block, not blockbuster money, but hardly low budget and surprisingly high considering uh, the result. Clerks was made for forty six thousand dollars and Primer for nine thousand. Oh, great shout out to Primer! Yeah, <laughs> so no, no, very true. I mean, six. Yeah, I forget kind of the entire context. I think we were saying how frustrated I know I personally was when you look at mm. something what what Justice League was supposed to be and the effort mm. that went into it and how mm-hmm. bad it was. It adds mm-hmm. frustration. So yeah, for sure, six mo- six million isn't. It, it's not low budget, especially for t- if Tommy's pulling that out of his own pocket sure, sure. it is low budget though when you're talking about in comparison right you know right. what i mean but that's and, a, it's a may- great point it is a great point yeah and maybe even going back to my original feelings uh, on the on the episode uh, when i covered it in the week in execution uh, if anything to tie this all together in execution boy does it feel low budget you know <laughs> it comes off feeling low budget <laughs> yeah, very, so. very much so uh, but, but definitely a good point i mean i didn't yeah. i forgot that it was six million honestly which yeah. is even more it's sad <laughs> yeah yeah uh, matt we appreciate the notes i would just say if you want to if you you don't have to it's just to save yourself a whole other donation form mm. you know, just want to separate it into paragraphs or separate you know part one or part two or something like that in your notes that's that's fine you <laughs> can do that lines, also you know? <laughs> um, but no we, but Matt, we, we thank you coming back so again much. and keeping this open I hope more people can maybe comment on this or we'll, or we'll see I, I love this commentary this this back and forth I mean that's definitely the goal of it and uh, hey and 
you know, not we're a year in, not that it's exactly early days, but maybe until the days that I'm getting just flack week after week <laughs> from people <laughs> hating on my score. It's nice to hear that you're so invested into the, the, the our product uh, of the website and, and how we're presenting. The yeah, ratings. the dialogue's awesome. Absolutely. All right, Matt, thank you. You are executive producer once again of the Daily Ratings. This is episode 56 for a credit for you and a producer overall the Daily Ratings. Folks, it's a value for value model. Uh, we're completely producer supported. Uh, if you're finding the podcast valuable, if you're finding the website valuable, go to the, don- uh, go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com and there you can donate whatever amount of uh, monetary support. You send it a note like Matt did today and uh, we'll read it here and it's a great through line to you and to uh, it's a great part of the show too. I think it's going to you know become something here. Absolutely. So it's a good time. Matt, thanks so much. And folks, with that, we're going to move on to our last film here. Uh, this is our now, well, our, our in theaters now film, our yes. newly released. Yep. Um, again, we're kind of we're finishing out October here. Vin, this is Pray for the Devil, directed by Daniel Stam. And I will be... I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know all that much about this, like, at all. Uh, I mean... You know, what... It, I don't it's know. It's kind of getting squashed by Black Adam, so... Okay, it's a little, it's a little go, hidden there. Yeah, yeah. So how is it, as far as a film, and it, was it a good ending <laughs> to a month of spooky films? Uh, no, but <laughs> it definitely hit on the theme of this week of thinking it was horror... And this film is definitely a horror, don't get me wrong, but uh, it, it has different, it, 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 it's it's more of an action film, honestly. It's really? Like, yeah. It's uh, being uh, billed as horror thriller. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to definitely make my case here on, on how that's being presented. But uh, Daniel Stam, uh, a fairly new director. This is his third feature film uh, with a bulk of his career in TV directing. This is right back in his comfort zone, though, as horror seems to be a majority of what he touches. Uh, we follow a nun, uh, Sister Anne, played by Jack. Jacqueline Byers, I believe the last name is pronounced. Uh, She has a complicated past that forces her into the Catholic Church and is is kept there by equal parts curiosity, but definitely uh, equal parts fear as well. Uh, While working with a newly established kind of almost <laughs> almost sci-fi exorcist medical center it's like a medical center for exorcism uh she is reunited with the demonic presence that brought her to her religion in the first place um uh there is uh, a real oddball setting here tom it is uh like futuristic Catholic exorcism squad school academy it's it's okay. a, it's definitely trying to do something unique so can I be honest with you? Sure. I remember very actually a long time ago seeing the trailer for this in a th- in a theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what movie I was seeing. Okay. And uh for the first time in a very very long time if not ever I saw this trailer mm. and was actually really intrigued. Really? I I totally forgot that I forgot the name of the film. This is the first time I was interested in seeing something, or at least being impressed. Sure. The trailer got me, Yeah, honestly. Yeah. And it is a little bit taking from, I like that it was taking cues from The Exorcist. I know mm-hmm. they're trying to build it into that a little bit. Like, oh, for sure. As any exorcism movie does, you know what I mean? In the, in the, in the shadow yeah. of it. <laughs> Exactly yeah. right. Um, but I do have to say, when I coming off the trailer from this, I actually was a little excited and thought it was kind of a cool premise. Yeah. And looked like it was well done. Yeah, and... Um, 
I really wish maybe some more was done with uh, you know mm. th- this uh, this uh, fictional kind of uh, exorcism academy. It, it, it's cool. It, it feels a little cartoonish, but that's all right. It's a horror film. Yeah, that's uh, all right. Uh, honestly, when it comes down to it, the set design is where I think this shined a little bit. I was worried the mashup would come off too cartoonish, but the fictional side of this is it really is balanced. I I would say it's more so kind of a personal preference of can you get behind the premise that there are enough exorcisms needed to require a state-of-the-art cool. hospital facility. <laughs> you know, how many are these? Right, uh, right. How many of these are, do exist? So, And in that, I, I think, again, it's it's not sci-fi. I don't want to say sci-fi, but it is a kind of a fictional take on yeah, it. Yeah, you just kind of got to go with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll return to where that kind of falls short for me. You know, I, I think there's a huge opportunity the film squanders in just trying to be the exorcist or in just trying to be every type of movie around exorcisms, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where we actually have a pres- uh, you know premise that the audience is being introduced to that this is a new world. Maybe we don't know the answers. Maybe we show exorcisms in a new way. Maybe exorcisms aren't what we know them as. Okay. You know? And I feel like that opportunity was just completely missed on this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just comes off very predictable, this film. I mean, uh, it's just, it's cookie cutter stuff. And and listen, I this is a perfect example, Tom. If you wanted to go see the movie, I don't want to be a, a party pooper. Go see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> It could be for you. This could be your horror film. I doubt it. Yeah. Not after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think you watching this, you would <laughs> you would look at this like how much money is going into this exorcism <laughs> academy and you would ask the same question. How many exorcisms are actually happening to get church dollars, <laughs> <in> <laughs> Vatican dollars for this? But yeah, the, the story has a lot of a- elements of action uh, sprinkled through it. Action movie uh, sprinkled through it. I, I enjoyed the demon uh, in this, desiring our main character specifically. And she's really made out to be our hero. Uh, it, it also ties into how the exorcisms are handled in the films. It would be hard to call them action scenes. And... And even after watching this film, folks, you may say, well, what has it been talking about? How are these action scenes? Mm-hmm. You know, they're clearly horror. But plot-wise, these are obstacles for our characters to overcome. In no way does any single challenge in this film fit into what horror is about, which is depowering our characters. Every scene is about empowering our character. Uh, in Sister Anne. Okay. It's all challenges for her to overcome and come out greater with and being an empowerment for the character, like an action movie, where horror is about stripping away agency, stripping away control, mm. and none of the scenes, horrific or not, jump scares or not, none of them fit in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, gonna... I, absolutely. I love that breakdown, honestly. Yeah. I really like that breakdown, just kind of soaking that in. Yeah. It's funny that you're dealing with such weird and scary spooky things like maybe jump scares and exorcisms mm-hmm. and everything like mm-hmm. that but almost have it come off actiony for yeah. that type of way it, it's it's all challenges building for... up and not stripping away i really really yeah. like that because it, it's fundamentally how you have to under, understand horror it's about taking away the powers of our characters it's taking sure. away yeah. you know uh their control and and i think if anything for a supernatural exorcism type of uh, theming to the horror. Well, guess what? It, a supernatural threat is about not understanding it, not being able to kill so it. True. It doesn't bleed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, definitely. 
Uh, like like Arnold said, Predator. Go go, go listen to the Predator episode. But yeah, I I, I think some some positive of this, of this. It is unprecedented for a nun to be a part of this exorcism training. So a lot of time is put towards Sister Anne breaking some of the you know the gendered norms mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. church. Luckily, this is not kind of a Mary Sue. She just gets what she wants. If anything, again to that action point, she earns a lot of what she does. I would say in ways this film or maybe maybe we should say this the most positive i can be on this film (laughs) is that it has slight sprinklings of silence of the lambs where there's emphasis of our character outworking everyone to get and break through the convention. Okay, uh, if that makes sense, you know. Sure. Did it did it come through as wokey? No, definitely you know not. What I, mean? I mean, maybe wokey to like a hardcore Catholic potentially. You know? Yeah, but you it, could just see it's just like women breaking down barriers, the glass ceilings yeah. being shattered, <laughs> this nuns being let in the exorcist room, right. exorcism room. Right, right. You know what I mean? I, I definitely. I mean, I, I believe I had a, a tinge of that. I think looking on the film, she earned it she does earn it you know the character itself. okay okay all right i think the difference between a mary sue uh, and, and a character that is going to earn it is, is is just exactly that are the challenges there uh something that is a credit to the character and the and the effort we're seeing on screen you know are there scenes dedicated to her you know in this case yeah. studying well the writing can be insulting too sure you know what i mean like sure. if it's written well mm-hmm. and acted well obviously but if it's written well and at the same time, that character is making the motions to deserve what she gets. Mm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that is really done much anymore. Sure, I think sure. it's very in your face. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I think there's definitely some some backlash to this film because this is not getting great reviews. You know, this is. <laughs> well, I'm gonna wait to give you the. Did you see the Rotten no, Tomatoes? No, no, I, right, I, I saw maybe opening night, but okay, I'm uh, excited to tell you what it is. Okay. And, and this is why we exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Uh, maybe a good example is Prey, uh, where mm. very much was under the, the 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 line of sight, you know, under the under yeah. the the yeah. crosshair of those online or, or or just in general that are saying, "Is this woke? Is this you know uh, you know she's just earning it?" You know, female character for female character, right? In just the same way that I defended it there, I, I think if the scenes, bottom line, mm-hmm. they are dedicated to development of the character, do we see effort? Do we see effort being put towards it? Do we see actual real estate in the runtime being put towards seeing our character develop? I think it's earned. That's, the, that's my past. It's like GI Jane doing, doing the workouts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wow, what a callback. I forgot about G.I. Jane. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, uh, like I said, this film is terribly predictable. Mm. Um, Not a single moment comes as a surprise. I think it boils down to, again, how the film builds on success and failure. Uh, You know, when something needs to go right or something needs to go wrong, it's always on cue. And, And certainly this ties back into... How the conflict of the plot is positioned towards our characters, again, action versus horror. Uh, the, the obstacles placed in front of our character is to are, are for the intention of her overcoming them and growing from it. It's not for the intention for her to be subjugated to the horror mm-hmm. and the mystery mm-hmm. of it. 
A fair amount of horror is is conjured properly through atmosphere, uh, but when it's one more thing for our protagonist to knock down, it's it, again, it's not too scary. Even the freakiness of an exorcism uh, gets old within the film. And yeah, because you're dealing with so many, yeah, right? I, I can't tell you it's how saturated. much of a colo- you know, colossal failure that is for, you yeah. know, if yeah. it's getting old within its own film, you know, it's it's just, yeah. And it wouldn't be a modern movie if we didn't get plenty of jump scares as well. So (laughs) kind of going back to my opening notes with this, I think the exorcism elements just aren't scary. You know, I think there's a such a a lost opportunity that you have people interested, maybe from the trailer, maybe from, you know, the first opening scenes of the film Mm -hmm. on this this fictional premise. You know, we're bought in on, you know, this this. This fantasy of the, you know this 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 Catholic academy that is just for exorcism, nothing else. You know, this, I like the cool premise. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I just think there was just such a lost opportunity to maybe say to the audience, oh, you don't know what exorcisms look like. Instead, yeah. we get the roulette wheel of, okay, is it gonna be vomit? Is it gonna be you know arch, arching the back? Is it gonna be hiding under the bed? She's not there. Okay, you know, it's it's. Everything yeah. you've seen in every Exorcist film, and, yep. and that fundamentally is well plays into this um, genericness. Yeah, this genericness, this predictability. So, you know, do, do you get what I'm saying? It, like, in like they had an opportunity to maybe switch up the game, flip the tables a little bit on. Oh, this? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how how fun would it be to read in the writing room and be like, okay, we know we've got. <laughs> Ten, about ten exorcisms, exorcisms we're going to get in this film here. Let's just start throwing stuff on the board. And yes. then you could go crazy. Absolutely. I mean, think about some of the ideas. Yeah. You know? Maybe you, you do a, a, a callback to what people would know as an exorcism, like, you know, vomit or something like that. And, and, and then and, show us new, like yeah. new stuff. Maybe it's a little bit of a switch up on See, it. Or, this is why they need to talk. Yeah. Because it literally seems like a no brainer. Consulting fee. It literally we'll, we'll seems like a no brainer. You know? <laughs> Uh, it's I I don't mean to to stress on that so much, but I was just watching this film and I was just like, man, yeah. I mean, I missed know. opportunity. Missed opportunity. Yeah, you know that's that's really where the envelope should have been pushed with this film's premise. Uh, but in, instead, you know, we we are introduced to a world that's fresh and then becomes everything we know it to be uh, already. Not a terrible film, and if anything, might be a nice balance for some of that, you know, balancing act between possession, horror, exterior, and actually operating like an empowering action film. Might be a little bit of a training wheels type of horror film for some, you know? Uh, maybe Tom. That's <laughs> 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 what I say. Yeah, yeah, you know, we, we got to do a lot of follow-up Tommy Two Shoes. You've called out to a, a lot of movies. You've I don't been know if watching. I'm allowed to. I don't know. I'll have to check the rule book on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> check the guide. Uh, I, I was not too thrilled with this. I don't think it was a terrible film. Uh, I just feel like, again, it was, if anything, cookie cutter, predictable, generic. Mm. Maybe for an audience member that has not seen any type of flavor of a possession, exorcist, exorcism type of horror, hey, maybe this could really, you know, knock your socks off with, you know, what the callbacks happen to. But uh, for me, we're going to go ahead and give Pray for the Devil a 45. Oh, my God. Okay, that's way worse than I thought. Oh, really? Well, I thought you'd like part elements of it, at least. Oh, yeah, damn. Yeah, it, it just, and again, if the 40s are defined by anything, wow. it is it is the mehness of it. Yeah. You know what I mean, it but, is the but predictability. T- but ticking on the side of 
it's really not worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Damn, I like the premise. Yeah. It's a shame, and it's a quick, you know, it's an hour and 33. That's it's true. Like pretty snappy. That is true. That is true. And there's a lot packed in there, you know, as far as, right. you know, if you will, a horror per minute uh, type of thing. So this is why I said that we exist, because you look at a, <laughs> you look at a Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, the critics gave it a 21, Whoa. which is low. Yeah. Uh, the audience gave it a 70. Oh, wait. Whoa. 70. Interesting. I did not expect that, and 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 no joke. Did not know the the variance between the two. Right. Wow. And how do you parcel that? How do you cut through that? Were those just exorcism fans mm, watching? Yeah, I who, don't know. Who lets? Who's let in? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then it's all over the place between IMDb and <laughs> yeah. and uh, and Metacritic. I mean, you know. And maybe sometimes that's a good indicator. If if everyone's confused on it, maybe that film is just worth hey, make you up your own mind, kind of uh, or, kind of a factor. Or listen to the podcast. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> good plug. A little bit more savvy, Tom, than me. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're dealing with the. I can take off my horror suit now. <laughs> We can return. He's been dressed like Dracula the whole we, month, we folks. Can, we can uh, return to some sort of normalcy. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got some films that I'm personally very excited for. But Vin, looking at this week, anything you want to close out? Anything you want to finish off of the month of October with? Or we want to roll credits here? No, no, I, I think we're good. Uh, just want to say uh, happy to uh, to give a, a a month truly dedicated to horror. Uh, and if anything, this week, man, it was it was. Kind of nice getting unconventional horror on here. I, I'm actually very happy with the watching this week. Even uh, it's a cool of list. Pray for the devil. This might be my favorite list we've had kind of this month. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a really good variety for me as a watcher and 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 of course I mean, anyone that decides to watch along with the podcast. Yeah, well, like I said the other week too. I mean, look, we're going from 1928 to 2022. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I like that's that. awesome. Yeah, uh, but Vin, thank you so much for watching these. We will see you next week, folks at home. We'll run it down one more time. We have the man who. Who Laughs with the 68%, The Rocky Horror Picture Show with the 71%, Ringu with the 69%, The Devil's Backbone with the 79%, and Pray for the Devil with the 45%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating? Or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.